We're going to go ahead and look at our passage for today. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Here it is. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, pray with me. Our Father, we uh, gathered here in your presence uh, this morning to hear all that it is that you have for us, Lord. Uh, we are here to uh, receive the preached word as the word of God to us and pray that as these words come out of my mouth, that they would accomplish the tasks for which you send them and they would bear fruit in our lives by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um... We started Wellspring in July of 2020. So for the past three years, uh, we've, been, um, we've been doing this little sermon series where we talk about family tradition, right? Where uh, we're just talking about uh, what, is it, what does it mean for us to be a church and what kind of church are we? So I always get that question, like, what kind of church are you, right? So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about that, right? Um, yeah, so we did start uh, Wellspring in 2020. You guys remember 2020? Y'all don't want to talk about it, do you? Yeah, y'all don't want to talk about it. <laughs> y- y'all having a PTSD moment right now. Um, there is this uh, comedy skit, a 2020's comedy skit, uh, where these friends uh, go and visit a uh, psychic. And I'm not encouraging anybody to go see a psychic this morning. It's funny. His friends go visit a psychic, and uh, they walk in, and uh, they say, you know, uh, this year has been so hard, we just want to skip ahead and see, what, uh, see what's coming, all right? And uh, someone else pipes up, and they say, um, yeah, 2019 has been horrible, but 2020 is going to be our year, baby. 2020 is going to be our year. And then this the psychic comes in, this young lady uh, uh, wants to know about her, her love life. She wants to know about her relationship and how that's going to go. So the psychic takes her hand, and she peers into the uh, future, and she says, all right, here's here's what I see. You're in your home, and the man you love is washing a bag of Doritos with soap, and you're crying, and you're screaming, "Um, that's not enough soap. You have to use more soap. I don't want to get it from a bag of chips. And the girl says, get what from a bag of chips? And the psychic says, and the vision is gone. But that was 2020, wasn't it? People were washing washing their food off with uh, with soap and uh, just acting nuts, right? So we started this church in the middle of all those uh, shenanigans and uh, because we believe that God called us to that. And my point in saying all that is that for anything to be, (laughs) my point is God has been so good to us, right? He's been, just as we sang, he's been faithful to us and we want to praise him, we want to thank him, and we want to honor him that the fact that we're just still here. We're still here, and God has moved us forward, and he keeps uh, blessing us. Last Sunday after the service, went home, and I um, was talking to my wife, and I just said, you know, I love our church. I do. I, I love you guys. I'm so thankful for each and every single one of you. You guys um, mean a lot to me. Uh, and if, if you're new with us, you, you know, and you're, you're checking things out, I include you in that too. Love you too. Glad you're here. And uh, I just love what God is doing. See him at work in your lives and him doing things and, and uh, changing us and making us more like Christ. And uh, I just want to 
thank him for that. And uh, so July 4th is coming up on Tuesday, and uh, as people, we have a tradition of blowing stuff up, right? That's what we do, right? In Morgan County, right, all kinds of things are going to be blown up. Uh, they already have been, and they, they will uh, over the next couple of days. Things that are legal and illegal will be blown up, right? Um, but that's how we celebrate. That's our tradition. The Church of Jesus Christ has a long tradition going back 2,000 years all the way to Jesus Christ. And the tradition is the gospel, right? That's the tradition of the church. And the gospel, that word very simply means good news. And we want to have that tradition as well. That's what we want to have as our, our tradition as a church. So we want to be clear about the gospel. That's what we're about as a church. We want to be clear about the gospel. In order to be clear about the gospel, we have to be clear about Jesus. And that's the first thing I want us to, to look at this morning is being clear about Jesus. Look at this passage again. Colossians 1.28. We proclaim him. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, this is what the church is about. We proclaim him. That is Jesus. That is what we're all about warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So why do that? Why be clear about Jesus? Well, we do it for the very same reason that the Apostle Paul did it. And all the men that Jesus hand-selected to be his followers, the 12, right, who were the foundation of the, uh, of the church, the church is built upon the apostles. And if you go back, just a couple verses right before uh, verse 28, uh, 25 and 27 puts it like this. Colossians 1, 25 and 27 through 27. Paul is saying, listen, I have become its servant. He's talking about the church. I have become a servant of the church according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God, the Bible, fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles, that's, that's nations, the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right, so the Apostle Paul is just laying out here, listen, God called me to teach and to preach the Bible, the scriptures, and to make, it, to make the word of God fully known. It says here that um, what's hidden in the Bible is called a mystery. There's a mystery in the scriptures. Uh, now, when the Bible says mystery, it's not talking about like there's a code in there that you got to crack, like a Rubik's cube. You know, you got to you got to try to find this uh, strange code. There's not like a mathematical uh, uh, formula or algorithm that you need to look through the scriptures and find out the meaning. There's not like a Bible code that needs to be cracked in there. That's not what he's talking about. You guys ever watch a movie with someone who asks questions the whole way? Some of you are the, that person in here right now. All right? Everyone in my family does that. Everybody. All right? It happened last night. We're watching the movie. I've never seen it before. Dad, why are they doing this? I don't know. I have never seen this movie before. Right? Now, let me help you out. If you're that type of person here, I've I got some advice for you. You have to watch the movie to get the answers. So stop asking the questions, just watch the movie, right? I'm not mad about it. But the story is explained along the way, and the Bible's the same way, 
right? The Bible is, the answers are progressively revealed, right, as the story unfolds. The Bible is a story that you're meant to be, meant to be read along the way, and, and the story unveils itself uh, along the way. That's what is meant by mystery here. A uh, Bible scholar, a uh, guy named N.T. Wright, he, just, he defines mystery like this. God's past, present, and future has at last been unveiled in and through Jesus Christ. All right? So you got questions all along, you know, as you're reading the Bible, and they're answered. Uh, when Jesus uh, comes, the, question, the answers are unveiled in the person of Jesus. So, in other words, this mystery that Paul is talking about here that's in the Bible is Jesus. So let me make it really clear. The Bible is about Jesus. So if a church says, yeah, we're all about the Bible, we're all about the scriptures, right? In order for that to be true, that church has to be clear about Jesus. Because Paul says that's what the Bible is about. It's about this mystery that's unveiled in through the personal work in Jesus Christ. So if that's true, then we want to be clear about Jesus. We want to be clear about Jesus because this is our family's tradition. This is the church's tradition. Um, I met uh, some, some family of mine that I, I've never met before uh, recently from Texas. And uh, I didn't know my family uh, was quite that big. Right? But it is. Listen, your family, our, our, the church, your family is much bigger than what you think. Church, the church family is all throughout the state of West Virginia. Faithful churches preaching the good news of Jesus all throughout the United States, all throughout the world, and 2,000 years of church history. You know, think about that. Like, the church didn't start in the 90s. The church started day one when Jesus stepped foot uh, on the scene, right? And it's been in existence for a long, a long, a long time. So the church has a long history of being about Jesus. Now, I'll give you one example uh, from the 16th century. Uh, there's something called the Belgic Confession. It was written in 1561, and it was written during the Protestant Reformation. And uh, this is what they confess the church is all about. Look at this, the Belgic Confession. Look what it says here. The marks by which the true church is known are these. If the pure doctrine, the teaching of the gospel is preached therein. So you want to know what a church, a true church is and what it should be all about? Are they talking about Jesus all the time? You see that? Number one, you want to know what a true church is? Are they preaching the gospel? So we want to be clear about Jesus because this is what the church is. This is what the church does. This is what the church has always done. In case you didn't know, uh, Canada's on fire. It's burning. It's all, it's all just going up in, uh, in smoke. And uh, it was like Monday, and uh, beautiful out. I was going to ride my motorcycle to work, and all of a sudden, it got overcast. And I'm like, well, it's not even calling for rain. What's going on? And I was like, it's probably dumb fires in Canada. And I looked it up, and there's actually these, uh, these maps where you can see where the fires are, how many, and where the smoke is uh, blowing them and everything and how it's affecting this region, how it's affecting the uh, air quality and the visibility. So let, let me mention a couple fires that burn and affect us from seeing Jesus clearly. All right? And the first is this, heretics and schismatics. And I'll, I'll explain what that means. 
The first fire is heretics and schismatics. What is heresy? Uh, church historian, a guy named Alistair McGrath, has a whole book about the topic. This is what he says. This is what a heresy is. It is a doctrine or a teaching that ultimately destroys, destabilizes, and distorts a mystery rather than preserving it. I love that definition because it, it, it ties directly with what we're talking about, about what the Bible is all about. Does it distort the teaching of the Bible, destabilize it, or destroy it? All right? Heretics teach something other than what the Bible actually teaches. And let me give you one very popular version of this, okay? And, uh, you know, these people can be found on TV, on YouTube, and all the Christian, you know, Christian uh, books. So you have to beware uh, because it's, uh, it's all around us. Here's what it is. It usually has something to do with twisting the scriptures to make them about current events. Right, so they read current events into everything, right? So they find terrorist attacks, presidential elections, COVID, aliens, whatever it is. I guarantee you, if you went right now on Google and you typed in Canadian wildfires prophecy, there'd be some nut job on YouTube finding a passage in the Old Testament prophets saying this is exactly what that is saying right there when it's not. They find everything else in the scriptures but Jesus which is the main thing, right? Rather than the plain meaning of the scriptures, the plain meaning of the text, and what Christians have believed about those texts for 2,000 years, they find Canadian wildfires. So that's heretics. Schismatics are another fire that burns that affects the air quality of the gospel. Schism simply means division. And I'll give you an illustration of this. When you're, when you're felling a tree, when you're cutting down a tree, cut a wedge cut in it, and you cut a back cut, and then you take a wedge, right, and you drive that thing in there, and it separates the wood, causes the tree to fall, right? And that's what schismatics do, right? They come up into the church, right, and they drive a wedge in the church, and they cause people to fall away from the pure preaching uh, of the gospel. They draw people away uh, from the gospel to other things. And it could possibly be other things that they uh, call churches or other groups or other studies or this and that. Right? And they, these people are smoking the eyes because they always claim to be Christians. Right? They look like Christians. Right? They appear like Christians, but they don't act like it. And that's a problem. And, you know, we shouldn't be surprised about this. We shouldn't be surprised because the scriptures warn us about this over and over again. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Paul says, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out. See that? Be on the lookout for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching, that is, the gospel, that you learn. Avoid these people. See that? All right, so here's another fire that burns. is the moralist and the spiritualist. The moralist and the spiritualist. There was a dude way back in the day, a guy named Tertullian. He was a Christian writer. He was born in 155 AD. And he is your brother in Christ. He is what's called a church father. These were men um, that were teachers and preachers and pastors who helped lay the foundations of, of, of Christian doctrine and Christian teaching early on. Right? And this is what he says. He says, just as Christ was crucified between two, two thieves. So when Jesus died, there was two criminals 
crucified beside him. So this doctrine of justification or what Jesus accomplished for us at the cross is ever crucified between two opposite errors. All right? So we got Jesus in the middle. One error is moralism. All right? These are people who are religious and maybe they claim to be Christians, but they ain't got no power in their life. All right? They ain't got no fruit in their life. There's no joy in their life. And here's why. Because they think it's about them being a good person. That's what makes them right with God. And that's why they don't have any joy. That's why they don't uh, bear any uh, fruit in their life. They think, well, it's because I'm a good conservative person and I go to church and uh, you know, I have a good family and I have a decent job and I have a good house. Therefore, I'm good with God. Right? The other error is spirituality. And this is where a lot of people find themselves at today, and especially uh, in our community. And uh, this is like building your own pizza, right? Build your, you got your own pizza, you got your, throw, we can throw whatever you want on there. Pickles, put bologna on there if you want. I don't know, whatever you, people do that. They put all kinds of crazy uh, stuff on there, nasty stuff, like olives and anchovies and, you know, stuff like that. You know, but people do that with spirituality. Sprinkle a little Buddhism on there, they sprinkle a little Hinduism, maybe some crystals, maybe some sage and herbs and, and all kinds of uh, uh, stuff on there. All right, that's what, that's what people do. And here's why, because they think the mystery is within. Spirituality and, and is from within, so if whatever I feel is true, whatever I feel is right, must be true in the world. Uh, so therefore, uh, they try to find a hope and meaning like that. And this these are fires that burn, that burn our eyes so we can't see Jesus, right? And these fires ultimately consume the people um, who um, think this way. And that's why we got to clear the air with the gospel. And the way that we do that is by proclaiming Jesus. That's how we do it. That's what Paul says here. That's the second thing we'll look at here is we want to be clear about proclaiming Jesus. Look at what he says in 28 again, Colossians 1.28. We... Look at that next word, proclaim. All right, this is what we're about. We are about telling folks about Jesus. We're about talking about Jesus, preaching Jesus, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Uh, we went to a 4 by 4 event uh, this past weekend in, in the community, and there were a bunch of fools out there uh, who participated in a mud run. Right, so they all lined up. All all these people lined up. They tried to talk me into it, but I'm not bringing that mud in my car. Right, I'm not creating that extra work for myself. So they all lined up, right, and they they had a sprint, a race through the mud. They were covered in mud from from head to toe, and uh, everyone had their phone out, right, and they had it going live, and they and they posted it all over social media. See, that's what we want to do with the gospel. We want to post the gospel except with words. We want to post the gospel uh, with words, right? And not necessarily on social media, right? That's not going to change anybody's life. No one's life is going to get changed by your Facebook posts. But they will when you tell them uh, about Jesus. Uh, there's a popular saying, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. You guys heard that before? Preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And what, they, what the saying means is, um, you know, have an exemplary life. You know, don't be, you know, talking all about Jesus if you're not, you're not living for him, right? You know, have a life, you set the example, and you live a godly Christian life. Preach the gospel 
um, with your life. But it's also deeply misleading because the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, is not your life. It is not your Christian life. No one is going to know that Jesus died, was buried, rose, and that salvation is found in him because they look at your life. You have to tell them. We have to tell them. The gospel is about what God has done for us in Jesus, which can only be proclaimed with words, right? That word gospel means good news, right? News is an announcement, right? It's, it's, a, it's a proclamation. It's not advice, right? The gospel is not, hey, you might want to try this with your life. Well, hey, you shouldn't do this. You should do that. No, the gospel is, hey, this is what happened. These are the facts. This is what God did. This is who Jesus is. Right, the gospel is the good news because of the bad news. The bad news is this, is that God, even though you were created for God, to have a relationship with him, we said, that's nice and everything, God, but I would like to have it my way. I would like to do my own thing and live for myself and fulfill my own desires and my own, my own dreams and my own purposes. And this leads to terrible consequences in our lives. This is sin. God says, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. We say, nope, I'm going to do my own thing. And uh, this is what the Bible calls sin. And we've all done it. We, we all do it. We're all sinners. And it, it leads to these horrible consequences. And one of those consequences is spiritual bondage, spiritual slavery. I found uh, this interview uh, with pop artist, a uh, young lady named Billy. Eilish, I don't know how to say her last name, Elish, and uh, she's not a Christian, she's a spiritual young lady, and this is what she, she says. She says, I think porn is a disgrace. I used to watch a lot of porn, and to be honest, and she admitted in this interview that she started watching pornography when she was uh, 11 years old. I used to talk about it and thought I was one of the guys and think it was really cool to talk about it for not having a problem with it and not seeing why it was so bad. I think it really destroyed my brain, and I feel incredibly devastated that I was exposed to so much porn. And that's, that's utterly tragic. We ought to have compassion on this, uh, this young lady, but that's a beautiful, well, not a beautiful, but that is a clear example of what spiritual bondage looks like. It is turning away from God, right, trying to have control over your life, doing what you want to do, and it ends up in a loss of control, which is slavery. It ends up being a slave to that thing that you think is going to make you happy, right? And then the second terrible consequence is we become guilty before God, is that we, because we have tur all turned away from him, that we've all committed treason against him, we've all sinned against him, that we stand condemned before Almighty God. You see, the condemnation that God gives us, he says, if you want to have it your way, go for it. God says, God is not going to force you to have a relationship with him. If you want it another way, he will, he will give you over to that. And those are the, those, that is the condemnation. See, hell is having it your way for all of eternity. That is utterly terrifying. Having it your way, getting the desires of your heart for all of eternity. You see, that's the bad news. But there is good news, and that's the message about Jesus. It is the message that God sent his son. 
Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sin, from all of our spiritual bondage and from his coming wrath. I, w- I want to show you this in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. In other words, Jesus is God. God dwelt in the, in the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, God delighted in this to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, Jesus Christ came into the world from heaven to earth to live and to die and to rise and to ascend, to make things right between you and God, to make peace, to reconcile you to God, to bring you back to him, to restore your relationship, to to make you the person you were always created to be. This is why Jesus came. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what happened. This is what God did at the cross in the resurrection. Um, after that four-by-four uh, event uh, this past weekend, we were, we were out in the sun all day long. We were hot. Man, we just wanted to get in the water. So we got a little, little uh, spot on uh, Sleepy Creek uh, that we went to, and we just kind of went there and slipped down into the water and put our feet in the water and went, went swimming and just had a, uh, had a, had a good old time. But uh, it was refreshing, right? See, that's what the gospel does. The gospel restores your soul. The gospel uh, refreshes your soul. It cools the fire of God's wrath towards us. It cleanses the stain of sin from our soul. It sets us free from whatever type of spiritual bondage you find yourself in. So the question is, have you put your feet down into the waters of the gospel? Have you had your your soul restored? Have you jumped into the waters of the gospel, of what Jesus has, has done for us? See, that creek was there. I was hot and sweaty, right? But I had to go down there and put my feet into the water, right? You see, what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago at the cross must be received by faith. That is, you have to bank on it. You have to trust in what he did for you. You have to believe that he did that for you. He died for you. He was buried and rose for you. Right? So um, if you've come to believe in that recently, right, or even here just now, you've come to believe in Jesus, then you need to follow him in obedience and get baptized coming up on on the 16th. You need to go after the service and sign up in, in the back and follow Jesus in obedience and baptism. But if you've already come to believe in Jesus, then, then all, everything that we just said is true for you. There isn't any more condemnation for you. God has made peace with you through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That means he's your father. You can have a relationship with him. You can go to him at any time, and you can, you can rest in him. Number three is clear about maturity. We want to be clear about maturity. Uh, Colossians 1.28 again. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You see, this is one sentence, right? And I know we struggle with uh, English grammar and, and syntax and things like this, but all these words are connected together like links on a chainsaw chain. Okay, so preaching Jesus, you see that? We preach Jesus, we proclaim him as directly connected to this goal or this purpose, 
so that we may present everyone mature in Christ Jesus. So proclaiming Jesus is tied directly together with growth and maturity in Christ. Um, we've had to have some conversations about YouTubers at my house. Right? These folks that uh, post videos uh, on YouTube and they make a ton of money and um, stuff like that. And the conversation uh, goes like this. Uh, but dad, he's a Christian. And he's married. Right? Uh, my response is, yeah, but he's not acting like a Christian. Right? He's uh, playing video games all day long. And the videos that he posts don't do anything good uh, for the world. Why is he acting like a child if he is a grown man? Where are his kids if he's married? You guys are looking at me so serious right now. <laughs> Listen, uh, here's the deal. The guy is too busy uh, playing video games uh, to give his wife uh, children to obey the scriptures, right? Listen, we don't want to be YouTuber Christians. We don't want to be uh, immature, childish, have our growth stunted, and, and be acting like little kids. No, we want to grow up and to be mature as believers. And the reason, a lot of times, that folks fail to grow they fail to mature and fail to be uh, to to develop as Christians because this right here is not connected for them. Jesus to the real life; those things are not connected. Preaching Jesus so that they might uh, grow and mature isn't connected, right? Or a lot of times, what these Christians are hearing is a gospel that challenges nothing in their life. It never rebukes them. It never challenges them. It doesn't change anything uh, in their life. Uh, I was at a wedding a long time ago of a friend, and uh, there was a lady there who had a little bit too much hairspray in her hair, got a little bit too close to a candle, and you know what happened. Woof! Her hair uh, went up, and, you know, that, that, that's, that created a disturbance uh, for everybody, and especially in her life. See, the gospel ought to do that sometime in your life. It ought to set your hair on fire. Whoa, I mean, it ought to come at you and challenge you and make, you know, it ought to, it ought to move things around in your life. Whoa, it's a, the gospel is being preached to me. That's what it ought to do. That's what Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 20, verse 9. The prophet Jeremiah says his message, the message of good news becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. In other words, it's doing something in my life. It's down here in my heart, and i got to let it up out of my heart and into my everyday life, whatever that, whatever that is. You see, the gospel does stuff. It changes everything. It does. And if that's true, then it's got to be the center of our church. It's got to be the center of our lives. We ought to be able to take a stake and drive it right in the center of our church right, which is called the gospel, and we ought to be able to take a string and run it out to every single square inch of the entire globe and every single square inch of our lives. doesn't matter what it is. Parenting, education, art, anxiety, mental health, addiction, loss, suffering, grief. It doesn't matter. Hairstyles. That's what, it, that's what it is, right? We ought to connect the gospel to everything. I'll give you an example of a pastor who's talking about this. It's a great example. He's talking about how the gospel needs to be connected to every single detail in every area of our life. This is what he says here. 
Everything includes presidential politics. Delta Blues, Corn on the Cob, Jane Austen novels, microprocessing, COVID controversies, woodworking, motorcycle maintenance, ancient history, the study of cuttlefish, and metaphysics, and painting seascapes, designing fabrics, starting small businesses, coaching baseball, farming 6,000 acres, farming 3,000 acres, and waging war, and learning auto mechanics, and winning the hand uh, of the girl you love, and resolving noise disputes with the neighbors, learning Greek, framing your house, shoveling your, your front walk, feeding your livestock, and deciding whether to do takeout for dinner or not. You see what it's saying here? And you know what? It takes warning people and instructing people, and it takes a lot of wisdom to know what in the world he's even talking about there. It takes doing what I did with my girls. Well, he's a Christian, Dad. Well, let me take the gospel and connect it to YouTubers. Right? That's what it looks like so that we, we can be mature and not be tossed around all over the place. This is exactly what Paul does in this letter. All, this is what Paul does in every letter. Every book in the, in, the, in the Bible does this. They present the gospel clearly. They drive a stake in the ground, and then they connect it to every square inch of the universe. This is what Paul does. Chapters 1 and 2, all about the gospel. Chapter 3, he starts bearing down on every area of life. This is what it looks like. Number one, all right, because of Jesus, because he's risen from the dead, all right, then if we have been raised up with him, then we ought to set our minds on him and look forward to his coming return. Number two, it means we leave our old life in the dust. We hit the gas following Jesus. We live a life of repentance and faith uh, in Christ. And number three, it looks like living a godly life through the church in your home. That's what it looks like, right? If Jesus is Lord over all of reality, he's a creator of all of reality, he is sovereign over it all, and he died to fix everything, to make everything right, that means his throne, our church, nothing out from underneath of it. Your home. He talks about husbands. He talks about fathers. He talks about wives. He talks about children. And he says, okay, you need to take this Jesus with you to work. When you go to work, the gospel comes with you, and you get ready. You work like a Christian, and you get ready for every opportunity that you have with wisdom to open your mouth and to tell someone about the good news of Jesus. That's what it looks like. Let's end with this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. It's a beautiful passage. God erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, that is demonic entities, and disgraced them publicly. Jesus did that. Triumphed over them in Christ. See, we want to be clear about the gospel because it's a reminder that our sins have been erased. The debt has been paid. Your debt for sin has been paid at the cross. It is a reminder that every demon in hell has been, the floor has been wiped with them. They have been disgraced publicly at the cross because Jesus is the risen Lord. He has risen over everything. You see, this is our church's tradition, going back to its origin 2,000 years ago. And this is what we want to be about as a church. I love what Paul, the Apostle Paul says 
at the beginning of this letter. It's one of my favorite parts of it. He, he describes the gospel as a person that came to this city in uh, ancient Turkey, in Colossae. It says, this gospel came to you and has been bearing fruit and has been growing, right? And it's been at work among you since the day that you first heard about it and you first learned about it, right? See, this is why we proclaim the gospel. Because us here in this community, right here on this block, on this corner, and the life that we have as a church means that the gospel has come to you. That God in his mercy and his grace has come to you, and that good news is bearing fruit in this community. That God is doing a new work here, and it's an absolutely beautiful thing, just as he is doing all throughout the world. See, we proclaim him, right? We proclaim Jesus, and that's what we want to respond to now.